just one moment. All black women are encouraged to participate in a general strike for Breonna Taylor. It's called a day without black women. No work, no school, and no dollars spent. This is the graphic. The guys got the lower third there, so you can see this little graphic, please. Thank you very much. Uh, Breonna Taylor's life mattered, and she was essential. Black women are essential as well. That's what uh, they say. Uh, this is something that uh, was put together uh, by, uh, by a number of people, but Karis Lavile and Nia Adams, they're activists with Justice League New York City. They'll be joining us in a moment. Um, even, though, uh, even though, Mustafa, here we are, uh, Daniel Cameron, the Kentucky Attorney General, has made his decision. We also now see the story saying that the ballistic reports did not match when he said the gun fired by Breonna Taylor's boyfriend struck one of the police officers. The ballistic, reports, the, the ballistic report does not show that. Uh, even though one officer charges were filed against him, this story is not over. Activists, uh, like in the, what they're doing here, they want to keep the pressure going in Louisville. Narrative hasn't been completely written, as you said. So we just gotta, you know, let folks know that no one is going to forget Brianna. That we are going to continue to stay engaged in the fight. Uh, it's such a blessing to see all of the sisters who, you know, are going to do everything, and hopefully a whole bunch of brothers and others will also join in to really make sure folks understand there's going to be accountability in this process. Yes, there may have been this one, you know, moment where we did not get what we knew we deserved. Uh, and honoring her life, but folks are going to keep up the pressure, and hopefully folks will also keep up the pressure after we vote, and we have a new administration, who then will have a Department of Justice who can do the right thing and circle back around. Um, this is um, something here, again, uh, flexing, utilizing the power, Avis, uh, to show folks uh, what matters. We've seen similar efforts as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's an important to make this statement, uh, to show the various ways in which uh, the labor of black women uh, impacts all our lives. And it's a way to show that our lives truly uh, do matter. Breonna Taylor's life matter. And we're not going to forget uh, the injustice that has occurred uh, in Kentucky. And this, I'm sure, will just be one of many actions that will take place until we get some manner of justice in that case. Uh, it is absolutely egregious with the new information that you mentioned just, just came out, and I believe that if we were to dig further, uh, if the Attorney General were to release the transcripts of what actually happened uh, when he went before the grand jury, we will see that he never um, positioned this as a way to uh, really fight on behalf of the victim in this case, which actually was Breonna Taylor, it seems like to me. Uh, what, who he was fighting for was to protect uh, the policeman. And so we're not going to forget that, and we won't uh, let her death be in vain. We will continue to fight for justice for her and her family. Um, this is, again, the kind of protest that's important. It continues to shine light on the case and uh, making sure it stays in the, the media's attention and top of mind for folks, Rena. Hey, folks. It's Joe here. Like I say all the time, we're in the battle for the soul of this nation, and I want you to Join me in this fight. This is really big, Roland, because, yeah, we the, uh, the Justice for Brianna Brigade needs to keep pounding the drum. I mean, this is this is any of us that care about that, care about her life and those of countless other black women that were taken so unjustly, so unfairly. I mean, we, we just need to continue. This is a new chapter of that. But why this protest is more poignant than, than I think others is because of what the Bureau of Labor Statistics tells us about how women, black women are in our U.S. workforce at a higher rate than, than women uh, altogether. And so we know from 2018 that black women made up 53% of the black labor force in 2018. That's what we know. And that's really big. Between 1972 and 2000, this was a really striking statistic. I learned that the share of black women in the black labor force rose from 45% to 53%. These are big numbers. These are big numbers. Black women matter because they're a part of this country's economy. They're a labor force. And when we feel the absence, people know. You don't know what you got until it's gone. And when they speak out, when they'll unify their voices, as I've been hearing my black sisters do for, for months and years on end, I just think these kinds of things, um, the more provocative the protests, like this one, uh, the closer we are to getting people to really understand and it, to seep into the consciousness of our nature, nation, how much black women matter. Um, let's go to the uh, line. Nia Adams, she's one of the activists with Justice League New York involved in this. Nia, glad to have you on Rollerbot Unfiltered. Absolutely. Hello. How are you? Uh, uh, 
how, uh, first of all, how are people engaged in this? How are they signing up? How, how are you sort of coordinating this to sort of get a sense of who's participating? So, um, I mean, we collectively started organizing um, the black women within Justice League and um, putting out on social media. So really, um, we can't determine um, how many people may or may not show up. Gotcha. And, 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 how, and, and so in what ways do you want uh, sisters uh, to be engaged in this day of activism tomorrow? I want tomorrow to be a space where black women in particular can be in community with one another because many of us are mourning. We're collectively mourning. We're constantly mourning. And I feel like we need a space to unpack that. We also need a space um, to celebrate our blackness. And um, we need a space where we stand up, particularly um, for black women who are often erased in a, a variety of justice-oriented um, issues. Um, the, uh, there's still a lot of people who are still angry and upset uh, by this particular case. And then, of course, with the ballistics report uh, that also came out as well, uh, how else do you want to, how else do you plan on keeping the attention focused on this so the case does not fade out of the public limelight? So it is our um, aim and focus to keep light on Breonna Taylor's case in particular um, because the message coming out of Louisville is a precedent for the rest of the nation that it is okay to uh, disregard black women and that's unacceptable. We are not going to have that. Um, many of us are angry, um, we're hurt, but we are in solidarity with one another and we will um, move forward um, regardless. I want to bring on uh, Karis uh, Lavio who's on right now. Karis, how you doing? Hi, Roland. How are you? Uh, doing great. Again, just want to get your thoughts as well about this day of activism for them. There are 2,700 robocalls made every second in the U.S. You might have been on the receiving end of one today. Yeah, there are dozens of apps that can help block those calls, but Sarah Navoy found one that not only prevents them from making another fake call, but also gets back at the scammers. Yeah, you know, the world, not just here in the United States, but the world would not be able to move without black women. And so tomorrow is a day for Brianna. It is a day for black women. And we also understand that because black women are so essential, there are many that will not be able to either uh, leave their jobs and actually strike. Black women tend to be the head of households and they can't. And so that's why we have other ways that you can you can um, stand in solidarity if you can't actually strike. And it's just a message to the country that you need to start respecting black women. You know, we come out, I'm talking about from electoral politics, I'm talking about from the community, I'm talking about in your family, all over the place. Black women show up strong all the time, and it's time that this country starts respecting us. I want to I, I want to ask the both of you about something. Uh, this is breaking news here. Uh, uh, go to my iPad, please. Um, a columnist with the Washington Post is just reporting that I put this out. A member of the Breonna Taylor grand jury just filed a remarkable motion asking a judge to release the entire proceedings of the grand jury. The motion strongly suggests that Attorney General Cameron's public comments contradict what was presented to the grand jury. Hmm. Uh, uh, the next tweet, it essentially accuses Cameron of hiding behind grand jury secrecy requirements while misleading the public about evidence the grand jury actually saw. It asked the court to release the record in the interest of justice, transparency, and accountability. This is a uh, scanned copy, folks, of this. I I've never uh, actually uh, seen this uh, before, uh, where the where this uh, member of the grand jury uh, wants the information released. What What are y'all thoughts about that? <laughs> uh, I think it's great. You know, he really did, uh, the attorney general, he stood up there and, you know, that the, the media asked that question right away because folks wanted to know there, there seemed to be inconsistencies. And to have 
member on the grand jury say, yeah, please release it. We want to have full transparency. It's, it's leading me to believe what else is A.G. Cameron hiding behind, you know, to have somebody on the grand jury to say it. And we do need full transparency. We need full transparency because from what I took from his statement is the grand jury came to a decision and the law is the law, which also made me upset because it's basically are you saying that the law in Kentucky says that you can murder, you can murder people in their home. So we do need full transparency. I want to know what was presented did he do his job properly? I'd love to see those. I'd love to see the transcripts. This is what sure uh, Nia, this is what uh, they said in here. Go back to my iPad. The Attorney General publicly made many statements that referenced what the grand jury heard and decisions that were made based on what certain witnesses said. He further laid those decisions at the feet of the grand jury while failing to answer specific questions regarding the charges presented. Uh, there's a compelling public interest for these proceedings to be released of a, of a magnitude the city and Commonwealth have never seen before that could not be confined, weaving its way across the country. The citizens of this Commonwealth have demonstrated their lack of faith in the process and proceedings in this matter and the justice system itself. Hey, what's going on, guys? My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. I'm from the Black Business School. And I want to give you three ways that rich people become rich. Self, uh, Nia. So I'm piggybacking off of what Karis uh, said in which... In order for us to have justice, we need transparency. And it's been clear by A.G. Cameron's actions throughout this entire um, case um, from March, his lack of urgency, that he has no interest in the protection of black women or in justice in this case. And so I fully support um, the, the, what the community is calling for, which is transparency. Um, then this is, uh, so first of all, for your day of action tomorrow, where can people get more information? So folks can follow um, Justice League, the Gather for Justice on Instagram, Facebook. You can go to gatheringforjustice.org. You can follow NY Justice League on all platforms. That's where you can find what you can do if you cannot strike, uh, where you the colors that we're wearing in solidarity, where we're meeting up, a list of our partners. Our partners are partners from across the country, actually, not just here in New York State and in New York City. So you can go to um, NY Justice League on all platforms, gather, gatheringforjustice.org, find out how you can participate in tomorrow's action. All right, then. Uh, Karis and Nia, I so appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Roland. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, Rena Shaw, this is a, this is a shocking uh, statement that's been dropped by a grand juror. I, I can't recall the last time seeing uh, a grand juror uh, seek uh, a motion for their transcripts, recordings, and reports to be released to the public. This is this is absolutely unreal. I think you know a lot of us who follow this so closely know that this very thing had every chance of not happening. But what I know is that the political will is changing because the pressure has been so great from the public. And that's how these things, you know, change happens, not overnight, right? We have to have small steps like this take place. But I still wouldn't be too sure uh, that, that literally uh, we have political officials sitting in Kentucky right now devising schemes of how to end this. And this is really big. So, you know, look, anybody who has felt that it's been such a long road for Breonna Taylor, know that the fight is still alive. We have to keep raising our voices for her. We have to keep saying her name. We have to pressure public officials to do the right thing so that the political will changes. This is a perfect example of that role. And I could not, I just could not be more surprised, um, but feeling really, really encouraged about the future. Um, I just, I really have no more words. I'm so in shock. Uh, this is a, a huge, huge uh, uh, development here, Mustafa. I did it. I made $60,000 in one month from selling T-shirts. That's what I said to myself as I sat in my boss's office as we was doing my annual review. It was so bad that he wrapped up and he said, son, we got to let you go. And as they walked me out of the building that day, I had the biggest smile on my face and no one could figure out why. Because all... Yeah, well, everyone knew something wasn't quite, quite right. Um, and, and now you have the opportunity to see the additional information that so many people were curious about. Um, and we also know that there was some window dressing that was done when they roll out certain folks uh, to give us the message that they know 
was going to be so impactful. So I'm looking forward to diving into what's going to be shared in this transcript. Public interest spreads across the entire Commonwealth. Back to my iPad. When the highest law enforcement official fails to answer questions and instead refers to the grand jury making the decisions, the interest of the individual grand jurors is parallel to the public, but also manifests as fear of persecution, condemnation, retribution, and torment. Unfortunately, they do not get to hide behind any entity, person, or office. Mm. Wow. You know I mean, what I, I mean, I mean basically, they're blasting camera and saying, oh, you're making public statements saying, oh, the grand jury, the grand jury. They're like, no, 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 no. That's, no, no, no. We, that's not what happened. But by law, they can't say what happened because grand jury test, uh, testimony is secret. Let me just say, I have never seen anything like this. You know, I, I've never seen anything like this uh, where a grand juror is, in essence, suing in order to release the proceedings so that they can prove to the public the inconsistencies with what, in this case, the attorney general or the prosecutor, the case that they laid out in, behind closed doors. This, as far as I know, at least in my lifetime, this is unprecedented. I've never seen anything like that. Secondly, it, it shows me, once again, how important it is to be a registered voter. Because if you're not a registered voter, you can't sit on any juries, including a grand jury. Okay, And so what, what this shows us is there was someone on that jury who sat there and went through the proceedings and then saw the inconsistencies, in other words, the lies, that this attorney general showed the public and said, hold up, wait a minute, that's not right. Let's do something about this. We need to make this right. That doesn't happen unless you are empowered to be one of those people in that position. The reality is, lastly, really quickly, is that attorney... Um, Grand juries can only make decisions based upon the specific evidence and the specific tilt of the argument that the prosecutor brings before it, okay? And so if they were given information in a very sort of tilted and very prejudiced way, it's not surprising to me that they came out with the outcomes that they did. What this person is doing is calling and questions the motivation and the veracity of this attorney general, which to me definitely needs to be called out because we know that this was a police department that lied on the police report claiming that there was no one injured in terms of that raid that also tried to get Rihanna's ex-boyfriend to lie about her in death by trying to bribe him uh, with a, a, a with being able to agree to let him get out of prison and not serve 10 years if we were to uh, sign a plea deal saying that Rihanna was involved with his criminal activity in which he refused to do. They have been lying throughout this case. And I am shocked, but I am certainly heartened to see one of those grand jury members stand up for Rihanna, call out this attorney general and say, you are lying. You need to be honest with the public. Release those transcripts now. It's time to be smart. When we control our institutions, we win. we win. This is the most important news show on television of any racial background. Y'all put two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty dollars on this and keep this going. What you've done, Roland, since this crisis came out in full bloom. Anybody watching this, tell your friends. Go back and look at the last two weeks, especially at Roland Martin Unfiltered. I mean, hell, go back and look at the last two days. You've had sitting United States senators today, Klobuchar and Harris. Whatever you have that you have, you can bring to Roland Martin Unfiltered to support it. Please do, because this information may literally save your life. Watch Roland Martin Unfiltered daily at 6 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, Facebook, or Periscope. Or go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered Daily Digital Show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Biden and Kamala Harris will show you his announcement. The South Carolina voters no longer have to have a witness for their absentee ballots after a court ruling. Black doctors are doing independent testing on COVID-19 vaccines. We'll talk with the president of the National Medical Association to explain. Also, have you seen the PSA announcement put out by strippers encouraging people to get their booties to the polls? 
I actually thought it was fake. But the director, the woman who conceived it, would join us to explain. Plus, a new action for Breonna Taylor, the coordinators of A Day Without Black Women, will join us with the details. And Bishop Michael Curry joins us to discuss his new book, Love is the Way. It's time to bring the funk. Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Trump's tax information covering more than two decades. The revelations they dropped Sunday afternoon are stunning. It shows that he paid $750. Yes, 750 on federal income taxes the year he won the presidency. In his first year in the White House, he paid another $750. And he is not he has paid no income taxes at all in 10 of the previous 15 years because he reported losing much more money than he made. Also hanging over him is a decades-long audit battle with the Eternal Revenue Service over the legitimacy of a $72.9 million tax refund that he claimed and received after declaring huge losses. This shocking and stunning report has upended the campaign. Donald Trump yesterday came out uh, with a news conference saying, fake news, fake news. And of course, his supporters have been uh, scurrying, trying to say that the report isn't real, but... You notice he hasn't actually released his taxes. Joining us right now, joining us right now is financial services and regulatory attorney James Davis. James, glad to have you on Roller Martin Unfiltered. So here's the thing that that, that, that jumps out here. Um, Donald Trump can yell fake news all he wants to. He keeps saying that he's under audit. The IRS commissioner has already said he's not under audit. Uh, he does not want to release his taxes. He's been fighting Congress uh, all the way to the Supreme Court to get his taxes. He's fighting the Manhattan District Attorney. He's fighting the Attorney General of New York State. No one fights that vigorously to keep their taxes hidden unless there's something they don't want folks to know. I think there are a couple things at play here. First of all, you have the public opinion about how rich he is. But the brass tax of it all is the potential criminal implications of what he's been telling the government for over a decade. Now, if you look at what's happened to his compatriots, uh, Mr. Bradford and Mr. Cohen, you can start to get a glimpse of how these individuals treated their tax returns. Not to say that Trump's doing the same thing, but the indicia of him doing the same thing are definitely present in that article. For example, uh, Michael Cohen did not declare declare roughly $4 million of income on his tax returns. So we don't even know what Trump has not actually declared. Number two, Paul Manafort would, I think he actually characterized some income as loans that he had to pay back, which he didn't have to pay back. So who knows how many of those loans that are on Trump's tax returns are actually of the same type? Well, not only that, the New York Times report also says that Donald Trump paid his daughter, Ivanka, as a consultant on deals when she was already working for the company. And some experts say this is a way to get around uh, the gift tax. Yeah, so I'm not a tax expert, but from what was this? 
described in the article, that seems like something you should not be doing. And again, the implications of criminal violations for him and his family potentially is actually great, which kind of tells you why he really wants to be reelected at this point. And so what we have to start to realize is that these types of cases are like those thousand piece puzzles that we had when we were kids. I'm telling my age right now, but you was spread them out on, on the table and start to piece by piece put things together. The tax returns that the New York Times has gotten a handle of, and I think they actually got abstracts, not the actual returns, but it still has the same, roughly the same information. Prosecutors have to take pieces of this information along with bank statements, along with transaction documents to try to put this puzzle together. It's not an easy task, and we're talking a lot of years, roughly a decade, possibly. And, and, and what also jumps out is, again, uh, what you're dealing with here uh, is him personally guaranteeing money. Uh, those loans are coming due very soon, upwards of $400 million. And this report also showed how he is still doing business with other countries that impacts foreign policy. The thing that also I thought was very interesting, he pays $750 in taxes to the United States, but pays several thousand and more than a hundred thousand to other governments like india and the philippines and turkey he's literally paying more taxes to other countries than the united states yeah and you know i'm glad you touched on this because the emoluments clause is not something that people like to talk about because it's very complicated and very abstract but what we're seeing here is the foreign influence not only on u.s policy but possibly the self-promotion and self-income-inducing uh, ventures overseas through his role as a president. So you're seeing both sides play to the middle here. And again, the people losing are the American people. Uh, and of course, one of the things that they uncovered is that there are some 500 entities. How he used shell company after shell company after shell company uh, and an extremely compact, complex structure under the Trump organization uh, where all of this stuff uh, has been taking place. If you actually read through the Manafort indictment, I think there are roughly 30 shell companies that Paul Manafort had created to conduct his transactions. And so again, you're seeing the indicia of what happened with Paul Manafort in these news stories about Trump's tax returns. And so it kind of tells me that you could have the same result if there was a desire to actually bring a case against him. Absolutely. That's the other equation. Absolutely. All right, then. Uh, James uh, Davis, I certainly appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much. Uh, there will certainly be more that we're going to be uh, seeing uh, on this particular story. So thank you very much. Thanks, Roland. All right, let's go to my let's go to my panel, Dr. Avis Jones Deweaver, political analyst, Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, former senior advisor, environmental justice EPA, Rena Shaw, the Lincoln Project Women's Coalition. Rena, I want to start with you. Uh, again, Donald Trump wants to deny as much as possible uh, this report. This is just very clear; it's undeniable. Donald Trump is a fraud. He's a liar. He's a cheat. Things we already knew, and all of those stupid ass MAGA people who says, oh, he's looking out for me. No, what he's saying is, you're losers for paying taxes. I am not going to pay taxes. It's all on you. You know, Roland, there's so much to unpack here. I've been coming on your show, and, and this is my second time back in a really long time. So I just, it, it's, I must say, I rarely come on this show having written so much down before to share with you all because I, I just have so much to say on this. I made my career on the right during a time of the financial collapse in 2009 and 2008. I was, I was there on Capitol Hill during that with members of Congress listening to the people that were part of the Tea Party movement, the whole people who said, don't tread on me and we are taxed to death and we need people who will stand up and simplify this tax code, all this stuff. Look, Donald Trump, gaslit them as i love to say this guy's slider in chief he does it to us on the regular he says i'm one of you and all of us need to have skin in the game he said that years ago he said lower income americans need to have skin in the game so pay your taxes because you need to have skin in the game meanwhile this guy's a big fat liar and i think where we really ought 
look is that figure seven hundred and fifty dollars i can't get that figure out of my head all day today i just think to myself this is what i warned of i was one of the earliest uh, as you know critics um against donald trump when he was a presumptive nominee for the republicans and i said to myself we need to know where these guys this guy's entanglements are who does he owe money to on a foreign like other countries now we know this is stuff we wanted to know way back then and Roland, this is going to be ugly I think today it's hitting the American consciousness that he he really is somebody that is just does not deserve respect. When you do not pay your taxes, you, you've done more than disrespect sort of the social pact we have here. You've committed some fraud. But the problem is the Republicans have been enabling these frauds so long. These high-income Americans, they've been doing these kinds of things, jumping through loopholes, creating shell companies, finding ways to give to their own daughter's consulting company so they can deduct tax or whatever they want to do. Show a law, show a law, show a law so they can hang on to more of their money. And I know this sounds really funny coming from me given that I love capitalism, but this is all about the rich getting richer and our tax code being a complete mess. But moreover, showing us who this man really, really is and he's a loser who doesn't pay his taxes and it's time that people in the heartland know. Um, I remember in 2016, I use this hashtag, we tried to tell you, uh, Avis, uh, and all all these people out here who run their mouth who were saying Hillary is the same as Donald Trump, oh, we shouldn't support her. Hillary tried to tell folks, but folks didn't want to listen. Let's go back to 2016 and one of those debates. Folks, watch this. Another example of bait and switch here. Um, for 40 years, everyone running for president has released their tax returns. You can go and see nearly, I think, 39, 40 years of our tax returns, but everyone has done it. We know the IRS has made clear there is no prohibition on releasing it when you're under audit. So you've got to ask yourself, why won't he release his tax returns? And I think there may be a couple of reasons. First, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Second, Maybe he's not as charitable as he claims to be. Third, we don't know all of his business dealings, but we have been told through investigative reporting that he owes about $650 million to Wall Street and foreign banks. Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license, and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes if he's smart. paid zero, that means zero for troops, zero for vets, zero for schools or health. And I think probably he's not uh, all that enthusiastic about having the rest of our country see uh, what the real reasons are, because it must be something really important, even terrible, that he's trying to hide. And the financial disclosure statement, they don't give you the tax rate. They don't give you all the details that tax returns would. And it just seems to me that this is something that the American people deserve to see. And I have no reason to believe that uh, he's ever going to release his tax returns because there's something he's hiding. And we'll guess. We'll keep guessing at what it might be that he's hiding. Uh, but I think the question is, were he ever to get near the White House, what would be those conflicts? Who does he owe money to? Well, he owes you the answers to that, and he should provide. Mm, sound like somebody was right. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been keeping a running calculation. That must be the 457 millionth time that Hillary was absolutely right about everything that she warned this nation about back in 2016 as it relates to Donald Trump. She hit the nail on the head. And, and I kind of want to sort of um, continue along the path that she was going with that last statement that she made. This is a national security threat to have this man in the White House with the nuclear codes owing somebody and owing people, entities, countries that we don't even know all of the entanglements that he has to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, 
I'm sure that may be one of many reasons why he does everything that Papa Putin tells him to do. He's probably one of the creditors. But the, the, the fact of the matter is him knowing that he owes this money and knowing that he's keeping that information from us puts him in a position in which he is incentivized to make money any way he can handle this because, according to the New York Times, the bill is due in 2022. So if he were to win re-election, he would have to come up with hundreds of millions of dollars in two years after this man has been broke, broke, broke for God knows how long. He's drawn, uh, driven numerous uh, companies into the ground previously. So what is he willing to sell? Who is he willing to sell out? What is he willing to do in order to not offend those people who he owes money to? I think this might tell us a lot about why, for example, he hadn't said anything about our troops having bounties on their heads. I think this might tell us a lot around why he's going around protecting um, governments and individuals who murder journalists. You know, I think this might tell us a lot about his behavior outside of the fact that he completely is a psychopath and he cares about nobody but himself. But he also owes money to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. And the bottom line is that is a national security threat to this nation each and every day. Uh, Mustafa, uh, conservatives can try to run their mouths all they want to, call it a fake news if they want. But the reality is he's been lying. He's not going to release his taxes. And again, if he wants to say it's not true, fine. Release your taxes and let us see what is true. Trump has been pimping America for decades. And the pimping should have stopped when he came into the White House. But it didn't. You know, it's interesting that Trump said that he would release his taxes before the election. And people waited. And people waited. And they continue to wait. And the reality is, for folks in Appalachia who are getting up every day and going to work, just so they can put food on the table. And this man is able to get millions of dollars back in return. For the folks in Detroit who get up every day and work hard just so they can keep the water turned on, but yet he's able to have millions and millions of dollars returned back to him. And for the folks on the Gulf Coast, you know, who are working hard uh, just to pay the mortgage or pay the rent. And for this man, who is supposed to lead our country, who is supposed to be, and we all know that he's not, he's supposed to be the example of fairness, the example of equality, the example of leadership. For him not to handle his business uh, and to make sure that he's paying his fair share says a lot about the character that we already know about. And we, as Ava said, you know, we also know a lot of this is tied to the fact that he has gotten money from places that he probably shouldn't have, that he probably will have a number of legal ramifications for once the fullness of where uh, his, his resources have come from. So the reality is that he shared with folks that poor people pay taxes. He doesn't pay taxes. He's telling you exactly how he sees you. And as Ava said, he also is telling you that you don't have a lot of value in the paradigm that he operates from. I'm not calling the president a pimp. What I am saying is that he has some pimpish ways. Well, and the other thing is this here is real simple. Uh, that is, this is how the rich play the game. This is how they write the tax code. This is how they get over. This is how they force uh, lower class and middle class people to uh, foot the bills so they can grow their riches. That's how they can live off their uh, tax cuts. That's how they can live off their capital gains. That's how, See, that's the game. So when you hear the Jamie Diamonds of the world uh, saying, oh, I don't think an Elizabeth Warren wealth tax will work because they don't want to have to pay taxes on anything. That's how they stay rich. They want to finance a lifestyle. That's what they're doing here. Pure and simple. And here's the deal. Not a single Republican has said a word. That well, Roland, on that point, I have something to say right there because this is really important to differentiate here. My friend Josh Barrow, who's a business columnist with New York Mag, put it really well today in a tweet. He just summed it up real nicely because a number of my liberal friends who are political commentators have been saying Trump is broke. As evidence to say, look, this guy is so broke he can't handle anything. He drives everything into the ground. 
But the reality is this, and Josh put it best. He said, does a broke guy have a private 757? He said, Trump isn't broke. He's a rich guy with a high income who doesn't pay nearly as much income tax as he should. Now, I'll take this up and say, yeah, there are tons of those. That's why Republicans will not criticize. But this is more than just, you know, a rich guy with a high income who doesn't pay as much as he should. This is a guy who's evaded the system, yeah. does not believe in his social responsibility, and yeah. therefore doesn't believe in the very fabric of this country and what holds us together. Right. They use the tax code to their benefit and say the hell with everybody else and screw them. One of the other reasons why uh, he is so hell-bent on getting Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court, because Donald Trump also knows that they have been ruling in his tax cases. He is hoping that this is a close election and it goes to the Supreme Court on Saturday. He announced that she is going to be replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. If confirmed, it's a chance to move the high court in a far more aggressively conservative direction for generations to come. In political terms, Barrett is the dream candidate for conservative Republicans and the worst possible candidate for progressives. She has criticized the Supreme Court's 5-4 and 6-3 decisions upholding key sections of the Affordable Care Act. Both were written by conservative Chief Justice John Roberts. After hearing of her nomination, Kristen Clark, president of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, she tweeted, uh, Urja Elston and his friends were playing basketball when confronted by a sheriff's deputy who flashed his badge, gun, grabbed Elston by the neck, threw him to the ground, and climbed on him. Elston sued and won. Amy Coney Barrett said the officer was just acting as a private citizen. Yeah. Uh, Abe, there's a lot of people obviously talking about, you know, all these people, some people are bringing up, okay, she's adopted two kids from Haiti, she's got seven kids, she's in this, some say this cult Catholic group. Look, all that, all that anti-Catholic crap is stupid when the Democrats have, their nominee uh, is a strong Catholic. That's just idiotic. The thing here is, you look at her rulings and how she uh, has spoken on the issues. And the reality is, being a 48-year-old white woman, she is perfect for them because they want her on the Supreme Court for at least the next 40 to 50 years. And yes, she is she is hard right. Uh, in, in, in the same wing as, frankly, uh, Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. Absolutely. It is, it is, it does remind me exactly of a, a, a Clarence Thomas taking Thurgood Marshall's seat, the sort of whiplash associated with that, the disrespect to the legacy of what Thurgood Marshall accomplished to have a Clarence Thomas sit in his seat. This is disrespectful to that level, uh, to have her sit in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seats. Because what she is in favor of, looking at her rulings, looking at what she's um, sort of ruled on in the past and opined on in the past, is counter to not only women's rights, but to rights that we need as African-Americans. So, for example, she's not only anti-choice, she's anti-contraception. Uh, she is not only anti-women's uh, rights, she's anti-voting rights, for example. Uh, and as you saw right there, she if you think that we're catching hell right now when it comes to the criminal justice system, you wait until some 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 more cases make its way up into the Supreme Court uh, and have a 6-3 right-wing majority uh, voting on it. it. There won't be anything they won't tell the, the police can't do. And so, you know, this is a very dire moment for us. And the sad thing is it took so long for a lot of people on the left to wake up to the importance of judicial appointments. Now that we're awake, the only thing that we can do to help mitigate the damage, because the reality is she's going to get on the court, okay? We just cannot stop it. The only thing that we can do to help mitigate the damage and have some sort of chance of stopping the bleeding, per se, is to ensure that we have a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president sitting in the House, sitting in uh, Congress and, on, uh, and, and in the White House uh, come November, because that's the only way that potentially we can bring some balance to the court by adding a couple of seats, perhaps making D.C. a state, adding a couple of senators, because we cannot afford to have 40 years of a 6-3 um, far-right conservative judicial system. That will be the most abusive type of minority rule that we would have seen in this nation for decades. So, um, bottom line is this here, um, Mustafa, and that is this here. If you're Democrats... This is why you have to understand the power of the courts. We're going to talk in a minute about some voting issues where federal judges ruled. This is where the courts matter. 
Republicans have been extremely focused on that. Uh, Democrats, frankly, look, uh, during the Democratic National Convention, they got one mention. That's by Senator Chuck Schumer. And I'm going, hello, uh, this is how you actually control uh, laws. You could talk all day about who you elect as president or in Congress, but if the rule, if the laws are declared unconstitutional by the courts, they're the ones who are the final arbiter. Amy Coleman Barrett is just another example uh, of the stacking of court. We continue to try and educate people when they watch your show. <laughs> you know, 200, 200 federal judges have now been moved, uh, you know, through this administration uh, and approved. Uh, less than 5% of those are African-American. Less than, I believe, 5% of those are also on the appeals side, are also uh, Latinx. So folks need to understand that in the interpretation, also policy that comes through, uh, many of these cases, whether you're talking about the environment or climate change or health care, those judges are really playing a very strong role uh, in whether you will be protected or not. So for those who say that they don't want to vote, we continue to tell folks, you know, these judges all the way from the Supreme Court all the way down are tied to your vote. These district attorneys are tied to your vote. These sheriffs are tied to your vote. You need to get up off your butts, make sure you're registered, get in the game, do your research and understand how each of these appointments that are happening can have adverse effects. Or if you get out and you vote in strong numbers, you can make sure that the right people are in there to balance this out and to make sure there's actually, you know, fair application of the law in the courts. Um, look, Raina, uh, look, you a longtime Republican conservatives understand the power of the courts. Uh, and this has been their focus for 40 years. And this is why they were so hell-bent. The Federalist Society was created. Uh, it was to put the type of judges that Barrett represents on the federal bench for life. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, there's none, no bit of that I could disagree with. Having made my career um, on Capitol Hill in the office of two pretty far-right Republicans, I can tell you that when I joined Capitol Hill in 2008, I was aghast when I learned that the member of Congress I was working for was the only member of Congress that year that still was anti-abortion in cases of incest and rape. It is shocking to me that in the year 2020 here, abortion is on the ballot again. I fear that conservatives have actually been energized by the passing of RBG and, you know, this judge, she's Look, it's hard for me because I, I definitely look at women not as a monolith. I think women are very complex, and I try to look at each woman for her individual merit. Um, she's a working mother. I think it's fantastic that she's adopted so many children and wants to be you know, mother to so many children while working on her judicial career. However, I know what's at heart here. I know what's at stake for her, and it's the issue of abortion. I grew up in a pro-life home, um, and I, I don't like to say pro-life because I'm still pro-life. I am just now pro-choice, and uh, that doesn't mean I don't value the sanctity of life. It doesn't mean that I am you know, up for abortion all the way around, but I want women to have the freedom and the liberty to do what they want to do with their bodies. And if Republicans are the freedom and liberty-loving party, I've never been able to understand why they don't believe in the freedom to marry and the freedom to do what you want to do with your own body. Because at the end of the day, every woman who makes a choice to abort is doing so for her own personal reasons and will answer to her own God. And maybe she doesn't believe in God, and that's okay, because there's a separation of church and state in this country. And what shocked me in recent times, even more so as I've gone along in Republican politics, is that People like Mike Pence, Vice President Pence, does not respect the separation of church and state. And I know this justice, as as you know, wonderful as the right wants to say she is as a woman, I don't want to attack her for the choices she's made as a mother, as a woman. But I know what she wants to do. I want. I know she wants to overturn Roe v. Wade. I know she wants to take away the choice for other women to do what they want to do with their bodies. And that fundamentally bothers me. And so we're at a moment where I think suburban women like me who've been lifelong Republicans, we're looking at this for what this is and saying something doesn't smell right. And guess what? We have to figure it out. I love what Mustafa said. Our choices judicially are tied to our votes at the ballot box. And it's about making sure every woman in my demographic understands that and older as well. Because older voters, as I've talked about here last time, they are the ones that go and vote far in far greater numbers than my demographic and younger. 
Uh, folks, uh, I've talked a lot on this show about the importance of judges and what it means. This video has been circulating. Uh, Reverend Dr. Howard John Wesley. Uh, he, of course, uh, is pastor of Alpha Street Baptist Church here uh, in the nation's capital, uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And so, folks, get the video ready, please. Uh, and so um, uh, I saw this video, and it was important because, again, y'all been hearing me yell this for years, not just on this show, but previously uh, on News One Now, previously on Washington Watch. I've been trying to tell y'all, focus on the courts, focus on the courts. Dr. Wesley laid it out. Here you go. And beloved, we got to lose this guy. Who is it? Doesn't matter. He'll kill both of us. What president will sit for the next four years? When you fail to vote, you do not understand the judicial legacy that a president leaves long after he is in office. This vote in November is not about the next four years. It's about the next 40 years. Let me take you back to constitution and governance. The president of the United States has the authority to place men and women as judges all across the district courts, the appellate court, and the Supreme Court. This current president, in his four years, has appointed more judges than every other president except Jimmy Carter. In four years, President Donald Trump has appointed 100 and 98 judges to the bench, two to the Supreme Court, some 50 plus to appellate court, and the rest to district court. And many of those appointees will sit as justices of judgment for the rest of their lives. 198 judges have been appointed by this president. Do you know how many of those 198 appointees are black? Do you know how many of the 198 appointees of this president are of color? Of the 198 judges that this president has placed on the bench, not one of them is black. Not a single black face sitting as a judge under this president. 198 judges, and not one of them is black. Man, stop filming. Targeted 
black voters to deter them from voting. Also, y'all seen that ad, Get Your Booties to the Poll? We're going to talk with a sister who is the director of that ad. Why does she do it? What is her intention? Some critics have said it's shameful and despicable. She disagrees. That's next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, so a lot of y'all always asking me about in terms of some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know, Robert don't have one on. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the. it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they basically about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many, many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket screen. And what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that but if i wanted to also unlike other because if i flip it and turn it over it actually gives me a different type of texture so therefore it gives me a different look so there you go so uh, if you actually want to uh get one of these shibori pocket squares we have them in 47 different colors all you gotta do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares so it's rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister is a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, that goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. Hi, I'm Kim Burrell. Hi, I'm Carl Payne. Hey, everybody, this is Sherry Shepard. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. And while he's doing Unfiltered, I'm practicing the wobble. So I am. Because Roland Martin is the one, he will do it backwards, he will do it on the side. He messes everybody up when he gets into the wobble because he doesn't know how to do it, so he does it backwards. And it just messes me up every single time. So I'm working on it. I got it. You got Roland Martin. <laughs> Voting don't mean anything. What's gonna happen if you don't? Give me, give me the next step. What's replacing it? Where's your voice being heard at? How do you put your your grievances out in front? How do you put forth your ideas if you don't vote on it? Tell me. Now you, I, I want to know if it don't work. Then tell me what will work. You have, you have nothing. You have nothing. I think you I think you should vote. Historically, a lot of blood on that vote. You should vote. Nobody likes me. It can only be my personality, that's all. We warned you, Donald. Warned you. But you didn't listen. It's over. And now you're losing. losing. Not just the election, you're losing everything. Everything. Kaylee and Meadows know you can't handle real interviews, and they laugh that you don't get it. So it's person, <laughs> woman, man, camera, TV. <laughs> they know it's over. Everyone does. Every. Smaller crowds. Smaller crowds. Lower polls. Embarrassing ratings. Embarrassing. Mitch McConnell already told his senators it's time to dump you. Republicans are abandoning ship. You think these people care what happens to you? You think the leaks are done? Everything you've screwed up is going to come out. Screwed up. Every secret is going to be told. Oh, secret. Change of stories, a lack of preparation, the lying, the holy They've got a party to salvage and careers to rescue. We told you they were whispering about you. Well, they don't have to whisper anymore because everyone knows. Everyone. Everyone. Except you. If you have arthritis... 
and you eat tomatoes, you need to see this. A new study has come out that... The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful... Today is a very critical day in stimulus negotiations. And so in this video, I'll explain to you why. I'm Erica Kohlberg, I'm a lawyer, and on this channel I cover personal finance and am also keeping you updated on everything related to stimulus checks and stimulus packages. Diving right in, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who is heading negotiations on behalf of the Democrats together with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, said she is hopeful that they could get a stimulus package done this week with the White House. This is after almost two months of no real progress in negotiations, so this is definitely a positive sign. She's been talking with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, who is heading up negotiations on behalf of the White House, together with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Together, Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin had three conversations in the past three days. House Speaker Pelosi's Deputy Chief of Staff, Drew Hamill, said on Twitter yesterday that Speaker Pelosi and Secretary Mnuchin spoke this morning by phone at 9.30 a.m. for approximately 50 minutes. The two went over the provisions of the updated HEROES Act and agreed to speak again tomorrow. We'll talk about what Hamill is referring to when he says the updated HEROES Act, but first I want to point out that the key takeaway from that is that Pelosi and Mnuchin are going to be speaking again today. This is really important because it means there's still hope. After they stopped negotiations on August 7th, we haven't had a streak like this where they've had so many conversations in a short period of time. Another point to mention is that White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows was not on the call. In the past months, both Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer have pointed fingers at Mark Meadows as one of the main reasons the negotiations in July and August didn't go anywhere. And even though Mark Meadows wasn't on the call, he did express hope and told reporters yesterday, the secretary and I have had a couple of conversations this morning. We also had a conversation with the president, so hopefully we'll make some progress and find a solution for the American people. Politico refers to the conversation that Pelosi and Mnuchin are going to have today as likely the final chance to deliver trillions of dollars in relief to struggling Americans ahead of the November election. Democrats hope to receive an offer from the Republicans by noon today, Wednesday, September 30th. If they do receive a counteroffer from Republicans, it's expected to be around $1.5 So it'll be a matter of whether the two sides can reach a compromise and meet in the middle. All along has been about the price tag, and they're still so far apart. The Republicans have come up from being willing to spend around $1 trillion on the next relief package to now possibly somewhere between $1.3 to $1.5 trillion. And the Democrats have come down from wanting to spend over $3 trillion to now with this updated HEROES Act, around $2.2 trillion. So the key thing today is going to be whether they can somehow find a middle ground and reach an agreement. But just to not get hopes up, they're still obviously very far apart in numbers. Political experts and officials on both sides have expressed doubt that both parties will actually be able to bridge the gap. To add to that, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow told CNBC yesterday that the actual cost of the Democrats' bill is not $2.2 trillion, but actually closer to $2.6 trillion. He also said that about a third of it relates to things that Republicans don't feel are strictly tied to the illness. We have a number of asks that I think both sides would agree with. Four, five, six asks that would really help the economy including expanded small business aid, funding for schools, supplemental unemployment payments, and airline aid, he said. For some reason, we just can't get it done, but the conversation, the talks will continue. The other team wants a gigantic package, and we don't think we need that. This brings us to the updated HEROES Act. If the talks with the Republicans fail today, then Nancy Pelosi plans to move ahead with the new $2.2 trillion bill. 
As we spoke about in Monday's video, if the talks with the Republicans fail today and the House Democrats do move forward with the $2.2 trillion bill, this is going to be a messaging bill. What that means is that there's little chance that this bill would actually get passed in the Senate, which is controlled by Republicans. This is because the general Republican sentiment is that anything above $1.3 to $1.5 trillion is too much to spend on a next stimulus package. So because of this, it's very likely that this $2.2 trillion bill would be dead on arrival in the Senate, since it's far above the $1.3 trillion that the White House has indicated that it's willing to spend. So then the point of a messaging bill is really so that politicians can show their voters that they are taking action. Because Democrats haven't had a bill like this since the HEROES Act, which they voted on and passed in the House in May, many Democrats are eager to be able to show voters that they are taking action. I thought this sentence in Politico captured nicely what a messaging bill is. It says, Some centrist House Democrats believed that another narrower bill could remind voters back home that their side of the Capitol at least made an attempt to deliver more relief even if the measure doesn't completely restart talks with Republicans. The Hill also said something similar, saying that Democrats facing tough re-elections have for weeks been pressuring Pelosi to hold another vote on a stimulus package to demonstrate to their constituents that they are fighting to secure more relief. So to recap this part, before we move on to talking about what's included in the updated HEROES Act, the best case scenario for today is that Mnuchin and Pelosi's call goes well and they reach an agreement. The worst case scenario is that it doesn't go well and then Democrats will move ahead with voting on the updated HEROES Act. This wouldn't be good for us because it's purely a messaging bill and stands very little chance of being passed in the Senate as is, so it's not really productive, it's just a political move. Again, that's why Politico refers to this conversation as likely the final chance to deliver trillions of dollars in relief to struggling Americans ahead of the November election. Mega Red 4-in-1 Omega-3 support more than just our health. They power your eyes. They fail and the House Democrats move forward with this $2.2 trillion bill, we're basically back to square one. Both the House and the Senate will leave for recess and pre-election campaigning. So let's move on to what's in the $2.2 trillion bill. And just a quick reminder that if you want to be on my email list to get important updates, you can sign up using the link in the description below. So this $2.2 trillion bill can be thought of as the slimmed down version of the HEROES Act, which was over $3 trillion and was passed in the House back in May. It's being called the Updated HEROES Act, or you might also hear it referred to as HEROES Act 2.0. This $2.2 trillion bill includes things like $436 billion in aid for state and local governments. If you recall, the HEROES Act in May asked for over $900 billion for state and local governments, so this is cut in half. It also includes $75 billion for testing for the illness, $225 billion for schools and childcare, a second round of stimulus checks, and additional relief for airlines, restaurants, and small businesses. It also would restore the federal unemployment benefits that expired. One thing to note about the second round of stimulus checks is that in the HEROES Act originally, Democrats were asking for $1,200 for individuals plus $1,200 for dependents. Now, in this updated HEROES Act, they've revised that ask so that it's $1,200 for individuals, but then only $500 per dependent. For the unemployment, it would restore the $600 unemployment benefits boost until the end of January. And also, it includes housing assistance for rent, mortgage, and utility payments. So be sure to sign up for my email list if you want to stay updated, since today is a very important day, and usually I can get emails out to you quicker than I can get a video out to you. And if this was helpful, please don't forget to put a thumbs up on the video so that it signals to YouTube that I'm doing a good job. Have a great day, and I'll see you next in this video.